This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Bohr and I'm your host. We have a great episode for you today, a talk with Dr. Holly Oxhandler. She's a professor of social work at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, Uh, does a lot of work around religion and spirituality and mental health. She's a great guest, and since we've recorded this interview, has become a great friend as well, so I'm excited to share this with you. I know that you'll learn a lot. I learned a lot, so I really hope you enjoy it. Before we get into it, I do want to point out Two quick things. The first is that on our Patreon, we have some new rewards. So if you go to cxmhpodcast.com slash support, you can check out those. We have a $1 level, a $5 level on up through, I think, a $25 level with new rewards, new gifts, ways of thanking you. So if you like the show, if you think you could spare $1 a month or $5 a month or whatever it is, feel free to go over there and check that out or share it with your friends. Some of those new rewards, in fact, include some CXMH merchandise that we have brand new available. If you want to check those out, you can go to cxmhpodcast.com slash shop. That will redirect you to a website where you can get some CXMH stickers that are pretty neat, as well as mugs, things like that. So you can check out that. It might be a good conversation starter or a gift for someone you know that really enjoys the show or you think would benefit from listening to it. So check those out. Just a couple different ways of supporting the show while also getting some cool things for you, whether it's rewards or merchandise or things like that. So as always, feel free to leave us a a rating or review or tell your friends, share on social media, things like that. Word of mouth is by and large the way that we get most of our new listeners. So thank you for doing that if you're sharing things like that. If this is your first time listening to the show, make sure you check out cxmhpodcast.com to find past episodes that you might want to listen to, connect with us, send us a message if you have suggestions or guests you'd like to see, and everything like that. That's all I've got. I don't want to spend the whole time advertising for things, so here is our episode with Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Enjoy. Hey, welcome back. I'm so excited today to be joined by Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly is an assistant professor and the associate dean for research at Baylor University's Diana R. Garland School of Social Work. She studies religion and spirituality, health and mental health, and is especially interested in whether and how mental and behavioral health therapists discuss their clients' religious and spiritual beliefs in treatment. She's developed and validated uh, an assessment scale written for numerous academic journals, and her research has been featured in places like the Washington Post, Consumer Affairs, Religion News Service, Baptist News Global, and more. And she lives in Waco, Texas with her husband and two children, 
loves reading, painting, meditating, learning about other stories over a cup of coffee, and spending time with her loved ones. Holly, how are you today? <laughs> Hi, Robert. <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. good. Hoping that the, maybe some snow happens here. We'll see. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. Thank you so much for having me too this morning. Um, I'm so excited to be here to talk with you. Yeah. Aside from that kind of fancy bio there, is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners about you? No, I think you covered it. It, it sounds <laughs> like you pulled some from my website too. So, I did, so that yeah. was fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you covered it pretty well. Okay. Well, I guess to kind of kick things off, I guess one question that I thought would be good to ask you and, and have you answer for our listeners. So you teach social work, obviously. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between a social worker and like a counselor or a therapist or what, well, I mean, what's the difference there? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't think I've been asked that one before. That's good. <laughs> um, so I think one of the things about, um, well, at each profession, you know, they have kind of their, uh, the things that they focus on and the things that they value. And they, they tend to be a little bit different across professions. Um, one of the things that I love about social work, um, well, first I'll say I, I was originally going to go into psychology. My undergrad is in psychology. Um, and then I, I guess I'd say I saw the light and I fell in love with social work. Um, but one of the <laughs> things that I love about social work is that, you know, we, we are really trained to deeply focus on um, all of the aspects of the individual, the client um, that we meet with. So we still engage in therapy. We still engage in mental health treatment. Um, but we're really trained to pay attention to the individual within their environment. We're deeply trained to focus on individuals' cultures, um, the biopsychosocial spiritual, um, meaning that you know each of those aspects of the individual we, we focus on. Um, and we have this social justice um, piece to our profession, too, that we really advocate um, for those who are marginalized and oppressed. And, um, and so, you know, again, each profession, I think, has their, their, you know, their differences. But clinical social workers are trained to engage in mental health treatment. Um, but again, just have these layers um, that they kind of focus on a little bit more deeply. Sure. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you. I know we've yeah. had a number of guests on who are in all those different areas, but I don't think we'd ever address the difference. So I thought I'd oh, ask. Yeah. That's like real. It really is a good question. I I've always been asked, you know, why social work and not psychology, but kind of really understanding the differences between them. I think that's a good good question. Yeah. So what led you to teaching then? I mean, do you still practice social work and teach? Um, well, I so I originally um, when I was little, I, I really wanted to go into mental health therapy. I want to be a therapist. And then um, I just kind of fell in love with teaching. There's something about empowering students and kind of walking alongside them in their, their um, academic journey, their professional journey that I have just found for me has been a really holy and sacred um, element of what it is that I get to do. Um, so I was in practice for a while. I, I mainly did um, some clinical work with older adults with anxiety and depression in Houston. Um, that was after my undergraduate degree. Um, I, it, it was on a research project. I was engaging in some cognitive behavioral therapy um, with these older adults. 
And I really did love, uh, I really did enjoy getting to work with these older adults and engaging in clinical practice. But once I got into the classroom and just saw those light bulbs go off and the aha moments, and I don't know, I just fell in love with it. Um, and I'll say too that, I don't know, are you familiar with Simon Sinek's work at all? Uh, some, I've heard him speak a couple of times at a, di- a couple of different conferences. Yeah. So he, 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 you know, his book, you know, start with why he has, there was this one episode I heard him um, mention about this, this passion for serving those who serve others. And Mm. I actually have a sign in my office that that really is my why. And so the way in which I serve my students who then get to go out and walk alongside and serve the community and individuals. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, um, Yeah. Awesome. So what led you to research a lot in the area of religious and spiritual preferences for clients and therapists? I mean, what, how, how did you get into that? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) In a, I guess a summary version. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Cause it's, I mean, so, um, no, it's all good. I will say it's all good. I know sometimes some academics have, you know, hard stories that kind of bring them into the work that they do. And I'm very thankful that for me, it was, a beautiful journey um, into this research. I, um, during my undergraduate years, I had started working as a, um, a research assistant for a couple of faculty, and I, I really started to enjoy research. I didn't, I thought I'd be really scared of it. I thought that, you know, gosh, I can't do this, or you know, I'm, I'm just not going to be good enough to be able to do this research work. And as I started to do it and engage in it with these faculty, I fell in love with it. So, um, so I think that then sent me, you know, into as, as it works, right. As our journeys, you know, kind of unfold, it's like one thing just lays out in front of the next and, you know, looking back, it's fun seeing all of these pieces that have come together. But, um, but as I, you know, was working with these faculty, I was referred to this other researcher after I graduated, um, who was doing the research with older adults with anxiety and depression. Um, and, she um, had another project going on along the side. This is um, Dr. Melinda Stanley, who um, is, she's again, she's at Baylor College of Medicine, but um, she had another project going on that was looking at the degree to which older adults were talking about their faith um, through, you know, through their treatment for anxiety and depression. And I found that in my clinical practice working with them, that they would bring it up but so often I was always told, well, we don't talk about that in there. Like, don't, yeah. you know, like that's, that's, that, that may be important to them, but, but let's not go there because that's not what we do. And that was really hard for me, you know, to be trying to figure out how do I navigate this? But this is something that's important to my client, but, but it's something that I'm kind of told we don't talk about. And I, I struggled with that. So, um, so right before I started my master's program, I had the privilege of hearing um, doc, Dr. Kenneth Pargament. Um, speak in Houston. And he talked about this huge disconnect between psychologists, um, religious and spiritual beliefs and social worker, or I'm sorry, and um, and the general populations, uh, religious and spiritual beliefs. And I remember sitting in the audience and writing down like, what about social work? Because I was just about to start my MSW program. And I remember sitting there and circling it like 20 times, like, I'm just so curious about this. 
So I started my MSW program. And again, I heard about person and environment. I heard about the strengths perspective and empowering individuals and focusing on their the things that are good in their life and the things that they use to cope and, um, you know, their culture and all these pieces. But I didn't really explicitly hear um, this piece about their faith. Um, and so so <laughs> being the person that I am, I was like, well, I'm going to just go get my PhD on this and I'm just <laughs> going to go study this because I didn't really hear a lot being talked about. And I did an independent study to see what was being done in the literature on this. And there were some folks who were studying this, but I had a little bit of a different approach that I wanted to take um, when it came to this topic. And, and I wasn't seeing that in the literature. Um, and so... So I went, I did a dual MSW PhD year, and then I went on to my PhD, um, and it's really kind of what like made me fall in love with this topic, just um, sensing this hunger in the profession for it, um, going to conferences and hearing people talk about it, but not having much guidance on what we do, and yeah, um, yeah and, and I just, I, I don't know, it's that feeling, like once you kind of fall, found what it is that you're like designed to do, it's like, how can you not do it? You know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that, that's a much briefer version, but yeah, but that's kind of what all led me to this, this line of research. Yeah. So what are, I guess, so what are your findings is a very broad question, but so I guess specifically what are, I mean, what has your research shown in terms of what clients prefer Oh, yeah. In terms of discussing their religious or spiritual views with their mental health professionals. Oh, that's a really good question. So we actually we have a paper right now that's um, under review. We did a a national survey of um, of the the general population. We had a question about whether or not they had received mental health services. And of those who responded, um, clients are they're really open to it and they really do want to talk about it. So. Um, so one of the questions that we asked was, you know, like if they're open to working with a therapist who has a different belief system than they do, and it was almost two thirds, um, or over two thirds who said that they do. And, um, in terms of, you know, being open to talking about it, um, it was almost, I think it was three out of four said that they're open to talking to their therapist about it. And, um, a majority said that their religious and spiritual beliefs are important to them um, during difficult times, um, that um, they think it's really important for their therapist to talk about it. They think that, you know, it's it's really important that their therapists are sensitive to their beliefs. So, um, and there were some other pieces. I mean, I know they were open to being referred to religious or pastoral counseling because the reality is, as mental health care providers, you know, we can attend to these areas, but it's, you know, it if we don't have that training to be able to work with the client on religious or spiritual issues, it's absolutely ethically appropriate for us to refer them to, yeah. um, to a religious or spiritual leader who might have better insight. But, but at least being sensitive to those is really important. But clients, they want to talk about it, especially as it relates to their mental health concerns. Um, they're engaging, you know, their the religion and spirituality is something that can be tied to um, or to their mental health in a positive way, such that like it can be something that they lean on to cope with when they're struggling. Um, you know, if they're going to religious services or or praying or worshiping or um, maybe participating in yoga. But then there's other times too where religion and spirituality is 
it can be really harmful and it can be, you know, negatively interwoven into whatever that um, clinical issue is that the client's struggling with. So, you know, given that it still is, it's what I'm finding is that clients, they want to talk about it. I mean, they want to talk about it. They, they actually want the therapist to be the one to bring it up. Um, which makes sense because especially with a power difference between the client and the therapist, um, making sure that the therapist is the one who invites it and says, it's okay for us to talk about this rather than the client feeling like, I don't know if we can talk about this here or, you know, or, or, is my therapist okay with it? I don't want to upset them. You know, yeah. um, we've seen that too. So, well, that was, I guess, going to be my next question because yeah. even with the clients that I'm seeing now in the assessment, when they mark, you know, religion is very important to me. I still, mm-hmm. they still typically don't bring that up in months worth of counseling. Oh so what oh are the, gosh. I mean, they're, you mentioned it there that they're probably waiting for the therapist to bring it up, right? Yes. Yes. That is it. They're, and that's what I found in the work that I did in Houston too, on that project with older adults and focusing on their religion and spirituality. Um, these older adults were saying that, yeah, they want to talk about it, but they want the therapist to be the one to bring it up. Um, so that's kind of where then I've just, you know, I've just completely dived into the research on how do we prepare mental health providers then to be comfortable to bring it up and ask about it. Yeah. So, okay. So then how do we, I mean, what are the barriers for mental health providers bringing it up? Oh, <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, yeah. So that we, we actually, a colleague of mine and I just had a paper come out in social work. Um, I think last month, on that, looking at, you know, what helps providers and what is preventing them. Um, and what's interesting is a lot of mental health care providers are just saying nothing is preventing them from doing it. Although the research that I've done has shown that um, they're not engaging in this, not as much as it's obvious that they have positive views about it. Like they think it's a really important thing to do and they think it's important for practice. But then when I ask them, like, are you doing it? They're not um, or not nearly as much. Um, but some of those barriers that, you know, that the practitioners have talked about aside from saying none, um, has been that they're either waiting for the client to bring it up, which is funny, right? Cause clients are waiting for the therapist right. to bring it up. Um, or, you know, some of them have said, you know, maybe there's some agency limitations, um, or time constraints, um, but we're not seeing that as much. Um, we're also, I did see as well, in terms of barriers that lack of education and training was one that they just don't know how to, like, they don't know how, what to ask. They don't, they don't know what to say. They, they, you know, once it is brought up, I think therapists a lot of times are like, well, what do I do with this? Right. You know? Um, so, so there definitely are some barriers, but, um, but it was interesting to hear a lot of them say that nothing prevents them. Yeah. Yeah. But you would say that it, I'm, I'm assuming you would say that it's important to talk about in a therapeutic relationship. I mean, if it's very important or important to people, it's an, an aspect of their life, we should address spirituality, right? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So not only because it's important to the clients, not only because, you know, so many clients are saying that it is very important to them. Um, in fact, what's really interesting is we see that across the U.S., like, um, you know, over half of the general population say that religion and spirituality is at least somewhat or very important to them, um, or that they're very or moderately religious or spiritual. But 
so be attending to this because it's important for their clients is, is definitely one reason we need to bring it up. The other reason that I think is really important is that we have research that's coming out that shows that when mental health care providers talk about clients, religion, and spirituality, and they do so in an ethical um, and an effective way, um, it actually improves outcomes. Clients get better faster when this piece of their life is is integrated into treatment um, and done so in an appropriate way. So I think we have like two reasons to really be paying attention to this um, that we can't ignore. Yeah. So you mentioned they're bringing it up in, in an ethical way. Mm-hmm. And I, I would guess that that is maybe one of the barriers, you know, of or at least perceived barriers, right? Because there's obviously ethical things about not bringing, you know, your religious ideas or your views and kind of placing them on the client. So how do we navigate that in terms of, you know, if your client wants to talk about spirituality, how do you navigate that conversation while not kind of, you know, forcing your own views or your own beliefs on on them? Oh gosh, that is that is such a good question, Robert. That's really really good. So, um, <laughs> well, thank you, you. Just yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Um, so, yeah, no, that's one of the, I think that is the most important thing is that our job as um, as social workers, but also as counselors and therapists and psychologists, um, our focus is it's on the client. Um, our code of ethics uh, really makes it pretty clear across professions that we are there to serve our clients and to help our clients. And it's not about us and our belief system. Um, there, we don't want to engage in any conflict of interest where we're imposing our beliefs or trying to coerce our clients, um, especially because our clients are so vulnerable. And for us to impose those, it, it's, it can be really um, damaging and hurtful. So yeah. it's not about imposing our beliefs. So what I think is really important is for mental health care providers to ensure that they are um, practicing a lot of self-awareness and reflection and being mindful of what it is that they believe in, why they believe that, um, making it quite clear, you know, I mean, it's okay that if your faith is something that's brought you to a helping profession, I think that's okay, but, but it's not then what you use to then like, it's not our job to evangelize our clients or anything. Um, so I think being deeply aware of what we believe in is important. Um, but the other thing is, is that we can't, at the same time, we can't ignore, um, what we believe. And, you know, in the same way that we can't check other elements of intersectionality and diversity at the door, when we walk in and meet with our clients, I don't think our faith is something that we can just check at the door, but we have to, be mindful of its place. Um, one thing that I have found in my work is that, um, and, and what I've seen in others too, is that the therapist's intrinsic religiosity is actually the number one predictor of whether or not they're talking about clients' faith in mental health treatment. Um, so their intrinsic religiosity is basically the degree to which their faith is carried out in everything that they do. Like, um, which includes their their work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, f- I have found that to be really interesting and and wrote a theory over the summer on that that I called Namaste theory. Um, which do you know what Namaste means? Um, my <laughs> this is gonna sound super dumb. No, uh, no I'm pretty no. sure my entire extent of that phrase came from watching Lost. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if you ever oh, watched I Lost. Love that so, show. Uh, oh my gosh, what that and like you know 
yoga, like the stereotypical, what you think of as, you know, that kind of like Zen thing. Uh-huh. So yeah, I'm going to say no and have you uh, make <laughs> yeah. me smarter. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's totally okay. I didn't mean to put you on the spot either. No, you're good. Um, so namaste, um, is a, it's a Hindi term that means the sacred in me recognizes the sacred in you or the God in me recognizes the God in you or the light in me Mm. recognizes the light in you. And so what I found was, you know, the, the fact that the therapist intrinsic religiosity is what is the, the biggest predictor, even over training, um, you know, that it, the biggest predictor of integrating the client's religion and spirituality, it really seemed to explain, well, when they deeply understand their belief system, they're able to attend to and are more comfortable with and have more positive views and see few fewer barriers um, and engage in integrating client's religion and spirituality uh, more. So that, I mean, and it's not just in my research. I looked at, you know, tons of other studies, um, that have kind of tangent tangentially like kind of looked at this um, and and they're finding the same thing too that you know the therapist's belief it it does matter we can't completely exclude it um, but we just have to make sure that therapists kind of know what to do with that I think and um, how to appropriately responsibly ethically you know be mindful of it and to not as you mentioned like to not impose that onto clients yeah yeah so you know, I guess my my biggest question for for talking to you today is what kind of boils down to does it matter so if if our our listeners are either people who are seeking out mental health treatment or are you know leaders in some kind of faith community you know a church leader a ministry leader does it matter if their mental health professional is a christian because mm-hmm. a lot a lot of times you know i talk to church leaders about you know, hey, we should be talking more about mental health or who do you refer to? And I hear a lot of times, you know, well, we make sure that we only refer to Christian counselors because Mm -hmm. we don't want, you know, we want to make sure that they're instilling the right set of beliefs or or things like that, which I tend to kind of cringe at because they shouldn't Mm -hmm. be putting their beliefs anyway, necessarily. But I mean, does that, does that matter? Oh yeah, no, that's really good. So um, I think the short answer is no. (laughs) I think the short answer is no, especially in terms of effectiveness, like what you're exactly what you said that, you know, it's not for us to impose. It's not like we, you know, it's, it's not for us to have an agenda. I think that some of the best therapists out there are the ones who can just be so comfortable with what they believe in and that they're able to just allow their client to have their own journey, their own spiritual journey without Mm. having to impose you know, a specific agenda. Um, and wherever that, that journey lands, I mean, that that's, that's for the client. That's what self-determination is and, you know, empowering the client. Um, so I would say the short answer is that no, in terms of effectiveness, because a good therapist, it shouldn't matter in terms of what their religious or spiritual beliefs are in terms of being able to, um, treat their clients best. Um, but it clearly it, I, I think in some ways, um, I think that it does matter in some ways in terms of, again, what the therapist believes in, um, again, not to achieve the most effective or most like, you know, the best outcomes 
but just making sure that, you know, that we're really doing the best job, I guess, as professionals. So again, going back to those code of ethics, um, we don't want to impose, we want to respect and consider the client's culture. Um, we want to engage in something that I'm sure you guys are hearing about this too, in counseling with about the evidence-based practice process. Mm -hmm. yep. So yeah, so we want to be sure that we're utilizing um, treatment modalities in the same way that a doctor utilizes, um, you know, uh, medicines that are, that have research to support them. Um, we use treatments in mental health therapy, um, that has some evidence to support it. And so if the therapist can engage in, um, in treatment from that approach, making sure that they're using, um, interventions that have research to back them up that, um, and they're evaluating what they're doing and assessing those outcomes and, you know, I think that that's really what's most important for us. And paying attention, too, to what research is saying about religion and spirituality. I do think that that's um, important for practitioners, too. But as far as, you know, kind of going back with just does it matter if the counselor is Christian, um, I think one thing that's really important, too, for us to, <laughs> to, to talk about is the fact that therapist belief systems, they don't match the general population. So, <laughs> so, so it may, you know, it may be a little bit harder to find, um, a Christian therapist, um, or counselor. And so I think that's another piece of why we need to consider that, you know, it doesn't just, it doesn't necessarily have to be that they have to be Christian. Um, they have to be ethical practitioners. And if they're good practitioners, they're going to include the client's religion and spirituality, just like they do with any as other aspect of culture. Yeah. Um, but the reality is that our our um, religious affiliation and practices they do not generally match um, the U.S. population. So, like in social work, we have um, about twice as um, twice as many of the general population identify as Protestant compared to um, social workers, like clinical social workers across the mm. U.S. Um, same with, uh, Catholic, there's about twice as many of the general population who self-identify as Catholic and about half who identify, uh, of, of social workers who identify as Catholic. Um, there's a much higher number of clinical social workers who self-identify as Jewish, um, like huge, way higher. So we've got hmm. across the U S it's about 21% of social workers say that they're Jewish and about one or 2% say that the, uh, the general population say they're Jewish. Um, there's a much higher percentage of social workers who are Buddhist, um, and other, but interestingly, we're about the same in terms of, um, those who self-identify as none. Um, so we have about equal percentages of social workers and the general population who both say, no, I'm not, I, I don't self-identify with anything. Um, and then as far as practices, it's, it's very similar. More of the general population are attending religious services. More of the general population are, um, praying, um, on like a daily basis. Um, a lot of social workers are engaging in meditation and yoga. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, so all That's that to say that there are differences. Yeah. Like it's, it's not like clinical social workers perfectly match the general population in terms of beliefs and practices. And, um, we are also finding this with other professions as well. I have one study that looked at 
psychologists and counselors and marriage and family therapists and social workers and uh, and nurses and and it's pretty similar that you know compared to the general population we aren't in, engaging in these practices as often um, and don't self-identify with the same affiliations as the general U.S. That's interesting. I don't obviously you don't have like an exact answer, but it, any ideas or, or theories as to why that might be? I yeah, I don't know. I would love to find that out. Maybe we could do a research study just to, yeah. on that. Robert, how's that? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, um, but yeah, no, I don't, I honestly don't know why we're that much different. I do think that um, it may be, um, be, it may in part be because we are engaging with so many different individuals from so many different walks of life um, that, you know, maybe, maybe in some ways our beliefs and practices have changed over time in response to all of these individuals that we're getting to meet and see and interact with and walk alongside through some of the hardest moments of their lives. Um, but, but I don't know, we should do a study on that. Hmm. <laughs> Especially, and I'd, I would be curious too to see to what degree mental health care providers' beliefs change over time too. Because I do yeah. think that, yeah, I think that that's, I think that does happen quite a bit. Um, do you think that any of this kind of barrier where clients think, hey, this isn't a thing that we can discuss with our our therapists and, and therapists think, hey, maybe I'm uncomfortable bringing this up. Do you think any of it has kind of historical roots in, I mean, if we go back to the writings of Freud or, or some of the early guys, there's, I mean, pretty openly hostile to religion comments, things like that. And if we go, you know, further back in religion, we see, you know, pretty played distrust of mental health professionals, probably deservedly so at the time. So, I mean, do you think historical kind of roots has any impact on what you're seeing in the research? Yeah, no. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So even though a lot of um, these mental health professions kind of, um, especially at least with social work, we, we were kind of born out of ministry um, and it had a lot of religious roots, but there was a split in the early 1900s, as you you know mentioned with Freud's writings, um, but also with this push towards the medical model that we're only going to use things in practice that um, that have research to support them. Yeah, um, I think all of the different professions kind of hopped along that and 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 went with that, and um, and I think at that time that made sense, but. Yes, I think that those historical roots of the, the mental health professions kind of distancing, um, why to ensure that things have research to support them, paying attention to what Freud was saying at the time about, you know, just how how bad uh, religion is in, in his writings. Um, and it really wasn't until about the 1980s that we started seeing some conversations again um, across mental, mental health professions um, and helping professions in general where we started seeing researchers say, yay, you know, this this part of clients' lives is something that we need to start, I think we need to go back and start revisiting. And it was like a brave few um, that started, you know, kind of writing about this again. And um, and I, I still don't think we are where we need to be. Yeah. Um, but I think we're moving in, I think we're moving in that direction. I just, I do, of course, I wish that it was a little bit quicker. I wish that we would... <laughs> Move. I wish that we would move away from the question of whether or not to talk about clients' faith to 
like just recognizing, yes, this is an important part of clients' lives and start building on that at this point and really moving towards this, okay, how do we do this? And I know there are schools that are doing this. I know there are professionals who are writing about this and, and there is work being done, but, um, but I still think that we have a ways to go. And then, you know, you mentioned too, that distrust with, with churches and, and religious organizations and the distrust they have. And, and I understand that too. And I do think that, you know, we have some bridges to build and, um, some healing that needs to be done across both professions. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I talk with pastors and, you know, they'll, they'll tell me about how they have congregation members come up to them and talk about some of symptoms that they're experiencing that the congregation member or the, the pastors, they have no idea what to do with that or how to help yeah. or, you know, they're kind of, and they're just kind of stuck. They don't know what to do. Um, and I think they get nervous about wanting to refer clients to mental health services. And I think in the same way, mental health providers get nervous about wanting to um, refer clients to religious leaders. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, I think there's just a lot of work um, that still needs to be done and just healing across both professions um, that, that, that I think we're, we're getting to. I know we're lucky here at Baylor. We have a, a dual MSW MDiv degree option. So yeah. we do have students who are kind of, you know, getting a sense of both sides and being able to you know, help bridge some of those, um, conversations. Um, and we have, and I know there are pastors who are doing good work around this. Like of course, Rick and Kay Warren and mm -hmm. everything that they're doing out at Saddleback. And, um, and you know, we have a lot of churches out here in Waco, but, um, but yeah, I just, I just think there's a lot of healing that needs to be done. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we so. had we were lucky enough to have Kay Warren on the show a couple of weeks back, and it was phenomenal. Yeah, that's so awesome. I, I think I'm in the same camp as you, where I guess on some days I think, man, we're so far from where we need to be. But then some days, you know, I look at a lot of the people, such as Rick and Kay Warren or Jared Wilson or other people online that are kind of pushing in this direction, and yeah, you know, it, it might just be because of the the connections that I've made over the past couple of years that mm -hmm. I see more of that side of things, but there are days where I think, man, we're, we're doing good work. Like we're getting there, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm definitely oriented to like the positive focus. I'm with you on that where it's like, you know, we, we do have to recognize the good work that we've done and the, and how much work we've done, um, and how far we've come. Um, but, I, but I also, you know, I don't want to ignore the fact that there still are areas where, there's the conversation of whether or not to integrate the two or whether pastors should be referring their clients or their, sorry, their um, congregation members to mental health providers <laughs> and, and whether mental health providers should be referring their clients to religious leaders. Um, so we've just, we've got a little bit ways to go. So, so if I'm a ministry leader, or mm -hmm. if I'm a mental health provider, because I think we have some of both that listen to this show, how do I find the people that I should be referring to? Or how do, how do I work together more? Or I mean, how do we how do we build those bridges? Oh, gosh, yeah, no, that's really good. I think, um, I, I think that if you're a ministry leader, just reaching out to some mental health professionals in your area. I mean, if there are any religious leaders, I've heard a couple of your guests mention this on your, the podcast, but any ministry leaders who think that their congregation members aren't struggling with mental health issues, like that's, those, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> um, 
it's just, it's, there's, you know, your congregation members, like they're just as human and we're, we, we just, we all have stuff. Um, so I think that pastors need to, you know, intentionally reach out to counselors and just, just email them and say, Hey, can we just grab a cup of coffee or can, can I just learn a little bit about what you do? And, um, or maybe, you know, creating a space to invite, you know, a bunch of mental health providers over to your church, um, and maybe invite a bunch of other, um, or other religious, you know, organization, um, and invite other religious leaders in the area together. And just, I think it's, I think it just needs to have a conversation, just getting lots of religious leaders and mental health providers together, um, talking about what you're seeing in your congregation and in the mental health um, side too. So, you know, therapists talking about this is what we're hearing our clients talk about. We're not trained to address some of these issues. Can we refer them to you? Um, but building that network is just, it's so important. And I think it's, I really think it's super important too that um, on both sides that you know who you're referring your 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 people to. Yeah. So whether you're a mental health care provider, if you you know if your client's saying, hey, I just I need to talk to a pastor, I've got some religious concerns or whatever. Um, if you're a mental health care provider, know what pastor, like know their thoughts and beliefs on different topics um, before you refer your client over there because you you really don't want to run the risk of the pastor causing more damage in the same way that as pastors, you really want to know where counselors stand on issues so that, you know, when you refer your clients over there, that they're, they're able to help them and, and understand maybe the religious beliefs that you might have, or at least be sensitive to those beliefs. And the other piece that I would say is make sure that there's, you know, that on both sides that you, well, especially for mental health care providers, that you really have a list of a lot of different religious belief, uh, religious belief leaders, um, and not just the pastor at your church. (laughs) Um, (laughs) because you have clients who have different beliefs than you. And, um, and so making sure that you have, you know, a priest and a pastor, um, a clergy member, an imam, um, rabbi, you know, just having that, that list of different religious belief leaders, I think is, is really important too. Yeah. So, so for the other chunk of our audience, because we've talked about if you're a ministry leader or if you're a mental health professional for the chunk of our audience, that isn't either of those, Uh what practical ramifications or what practical things come out of your research for them? So if, if I'm just a, a person walking into a counselor's office or, you know, who volunteers at my church. I mean, what, what practical things can you tell me that would, I guess, help? Yeah, no, that's, that's good. Um, so I think for clients, um, or, um, yeah, for clients, I think the most important thing is, you know, if your religion or spirituality is something that's important to you, if it's something that you lean on when you're struggling um, with whatever it is that you're struggling with, whether it be a mental illness or a situation or a family issue or whatever it is, I think that it's really important that clients feel empowered and encouraged and supported to talk about what is important to them. And if your therapist doesn't ask about it, as scary as it might be, um, I think it's okay to bring it up. And if your therapist, if you, if your therapist says, you know, we don't talk about that in there, um, I think that it's really okay as a client to say, I'm, I'm sorry, this is something that really is important to me. And if you don't want to talk about it, I'm going to find a therapist who is willing to talk about it. Yeah. 
Um, I think it's important for clients, you know, as, as vulnerable as I know clients are and, you know, especially in times of crisis, um, you know, ensuring that you, you know, or at least as, as much as possible can advocate for what's important to you and what you believe in and what you need. Um, I think that that's really important and that, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to say, my faith is something that's really important to me and, um, and I want to work with you and I'm, I want to get better. I want to, you know, um, process either the mental health concerns or spiritual concerns that, you know, I'm, I'm facing, but, but I just, I need to be able to talk about this. And on the other side too, you know, as clients or individuals talk with their clergy, um, as you know, as they talk with their clergy and their, their pastors are saying, um, you know, we don't talk about mental health stuff in there. I think that it, that clients should be, an individual should be empowered to say, well, this is something that I'm struggling with in the same way. If I were to come with you with a broken arm or with a diagnosis of diabetes or cancer, you know, a pastor would, would sit with them and walk with them. I think that it is important for clients to say, you know, this is, it's, it, it just is something that I'm struggling with and, um, and it's important to me. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, I and I know that's so not good. easy. Yeah. And I know it's not easy. I always am hesitant to say that because, because clients are vulnerable and they're going through a lot of stuff and, you know, and, and that's it really is why I think my work is so heavily focused on, you know, educating practitioners to be able to open up that door and have a conversation. But, um, but I also think that, that clients, you know, they, they can be empowered and encouraged to advocate for themselves too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's so good. I, I know that. So having been on both sides of a counseling relationship, I know that, you know, when you walk in there and sit down, there is kind of this sense of they are in control. I'm just, I'm supposed to do what they say, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. being on the other side, I, I try to keep that in mind because I, I try to communicate as much as possible. You know, I'm here to do what you want to do, you know, mm-hmm. obviously within, within ethical boundaries, right, but like, right, right. I'm here to help you. So it's not like, hey, I'm going to dictate how this whole thing goes like we're doing surgery, right? It's, you know, I'm here to help you. So if if you're a client and you say, hey, I, I would like to discuss this topic, that may seem intimidating because the, you know, kind of your natural reaction is, well, I'll just let them lead the way. But mm-hmm. as a counselor, you know, if, if somebody says, hey, I want to talk about this, that's the direction I'm going to go in. You know, that's yeah, ethically I'm bound not going to say, no, I'm yeah. not going to do that follow my instructions. I mean, that's not ethical either. So. Right. Right. Yep. Mm. You're so right. Um, and, but unfortunately I know that there are therapists out there who, who still do that where they'll say, no, we don't talk about that in here. And so I think that's when, if it's important to the client, they say, well, it was very nice to know you. Nice to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great day. Um, and find one that, that is a good fit. I mean, it's not, you know, in the same way that sometimes it takes a little while to find the right doctor who can really hear you and, and, you know, meet you where you're at and, um, and respect what you want. The same way it takes a while to find the right pastor who's kind of on the same page as you and, you know, and, and that you are, are really, you know, wanting to continue to listen to whatever. I mean, it can take some time too to find the right therapist. So I think that's, that's okay. Yeah. I, you, as you were saying that I was picturing, you know, being in a doctor's office and saying, Man, my my foot really hurts, and the doctor saying, "No, no, we don't we don't talk about feet here." <laughs> yeah, you would say, "Oh, yeah. well, all right, great. Yeah. Have a have a great day." Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we don't have to be experts in all of the different pieces. I mean, for sure, I'm not saying that 
we need to be experts in every aspect of this, at, at least as, like from the mental health side, we don't have to be experts in religion and spirituality. And from the um, the religion spirituality side, we don't have to be experts in mental health, but we at least need to be sensitive to bridge the two together and connect yeah. uh, these two areas. So, yeah. Awesome. Yep. Hey, yeah. if you want to connect with Holly, you can find her on Twitter at Holly Oxhandler or on her website at hollyoxhandler.com. You can find me on social media at Robert Vore or at robert-vore.com. Holly, thank you so much for joining us. Do you have any closing words for our guests or our listeners today? You're the guest, so. <laughs> no. Well, first I'll say thank you again so much for having me, Robert. I am just so excited and encouraged by the good work that you and Steve are doing. And um, I'm just, I, I just can't wait to um, see where this podcast goes and, you know, what you guys are doing. Um, I think the most, I, I think the last thing that I would just say is, um, I just really hope and pray that, you know, as we are continuing, at least from the mental health side and the religion spirituality side, as we continue to do um, what we do to, to serve others, um, I just I just really hope that we continue to be mindful of the ways that we're really just focusing on serving others um, and, and helping them. So um, thank you so much for having me, though, Robert. I of really course. appreciate it. Of course. Thank you it. for being here. It was a great conversation. And uh, even just on a personal note, I know that you've already sent you know tons of ideas for other people to connect with and resources yeah. that are yeah. great for the podcast, but also in you know kind of my academic side of life. So uh, yeah. it's been a, a fantastic connection already. So Awesome. Same here. I'm so honored to know you guys. Well, thank you. Come back anytime. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too, Robert. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note, if you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.